Well, at this time, we have the privilege of receiving the word of the Lord, and uh, today, that word is coming through our brother, our friend, elder here at Bethel Christian Fellowship, came to us when he was a student at McAllister College and has never left, (laughs) and we're so grateful. So let's open our hands as we prepare our hearts to receive the word of the Lord today. Lord Jesus, it is with open hearts and open hands and open minds and open spirit that, Lord, we receive your word today as it comes through our brother and our friend. Andrew, Lord, says praying for him earlier this morning, Lord, it was just so clear to me that this word that he is sharing with us today is not simply a word upon his lips, but it's written in his heart. It's a part of the makeup of who he is. And so, Lord, today we receive this word with joyful gladness, with grateful hearts, with expectation, Jesus, that you have something to speak to us that will bring life. You who are the living, eternal word, come with your specific and now particular word for this hour, for this day, for this moment. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you join me in welcoming our brother, Andrew? My name is Andrew Gross. I'm one of the elders here at the church. Good morning. Uh, I know I'm going to be upstage today by the uh, new directory. Everybody's going to be looking at that. I'm, I am kind of used to being upstaged when I'm, when I'm here. Uh, several years ago, Nate here uh, proposed to Eleanor uh, right before I game, came up and uh, gave the message. So I'm not bitter. I just want to let you know. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And... Now your daughter is going to be upstaging me too. She, she, she was, wow, she was distracting during the worship, your little cutie. That was, well, this morning, I have the honor and privilege of wrapping up, uh, wrapping up the year and also wrapping up our final series, the Sola series. Uh, I bet you guys can all remind me that there's, there's been, there's five of them total, but uh, we're on the fifth one. Anybody remember all the way several weeks ago, we, we started off with uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Anyone remember? Sola Scriptura, uh, Scripture alone, Scripture alone. Uh, anyone remember the next Sola? Sola Fide, Faith Alone. And then who remembers the third one? Sola Gratia, faith, uh, Grace Alone, Grace Alone. And then last week? Sola Christus, Christ alone. Uh, these, uh, including today's message, these solas, these were the core, these are the core of uh, the Reformation. And uh, about 500, almost exactly 500 years ago, uh, reformers, you've heard of people like Martin Luther, John Calvin, uh, they, they, uh, they realized the church had, was in a pretty dark place in many respects. And uh, these, these reformers, uh, went back to the Bible and said, hey, we're, we're seriously missing something, guys. And, uh, and, and the Reformation was, was born out of that. Today, uh, we're on the fifth one, and that is uh, Sola. Anyone look ahead what it is? Sola Deo Gloria, all right? So, Sola Deo Gloria. Now, <clears throat> this one was so important, you know, back in the Reformation, uh, all, the other four set off a firestorm of controversy in, uh, in Western Europe during the Reformation. And, uh, but this one was so important that uh, even the, the, the leaders of the Catholic Church who uh, were pitted against Martin Luther and John Calvin and the others, 
they said, yeah, you're right. This is actually right at the core of, of what, we, what we believe. So much so that uh, uh, they started a whole new order called the Jesuit Order. It's led by a man named uh, Ignatius of Loyola. You may have heard of them. They, they, uh, the current pope uh, is from that order, the Jesuit Order. And they adopted as their slogan, uh, for the greater glory of God. And uh, so, so, so even in the, the midst of that, that fight of the Reformation, there was a realization, this is at the core of, of, of what we believe. So, so it's, it's, uh, it's very important. But, you know, regardless of what the Reformers thought, regardless of what the uh, Jesuit order thought in the, in the Catholic Church, what's most important here is that this is a biblical idea. This is, uh, this is an idea straight from the Bible, and that, that's, that's what we need to talk about today. All right, well, you know, I, I, was, I, I was really wondering and debating how I was going to deliver this message because the fact is this, this is, this is a, can be a hard message. This, this can be difficult both to hear and it can be difficult to speak about for uh, several reasons. Uh, you know, one, one reason is the, uh, the modern world uh, the modern secular world has rejected the idea that all of life is about the glory of God, or that creation was made to glorify God. And uh, and the modern secular world says, Christians, you can keep all your fluffy, warm fuzzies about Jesus loving you, but do not mess with the purpose of the universe. That that uh, and they don't like that. And and then us Christians, we've absorbed that that very prejudice against the glory of God, about creation existing for the glory of God. And, uh, and so it's kind of sometimes distasteful and hard for us to talk about this idea that, that creation exists for the glory of God. And it can even be sort of a, a bitter pill, uh, you know, and, and for good reasons. I, I, it sounds, when you first hear it, God created the universe to glorify himself. That sounds kind of like God's selfish, or he needs the attention, or, uh, you know, he, and, and we just celebrated Christmas, which is all about God humbling himself, coming down to the lowest possible level that, uh, lowest possible level, and, and that's what Christmas is all about, and then here we are talking about God exalting himself. So, so it, it can get kind of hard to talk about. I, I, I really debated how I could deliver this message. Uh, but I need to deliver the message because it's like I said, it's, it's, this is a biblical idea. It's something we gotta we gotta wrestle with in the Bible. Uh, so I, I could I, th- here's one thing I could do. I could go through hundreds and hundreds of scriptures about how the glory of God is actually our greatest good, and it's actually in our best interest. If you just to, I'll just throw, throw a few scriptures at you here um, that God's glory is our greatest good. <clears throat> I, even I, am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake and remembers your sin no more from Isaiah 43. Also can check out Psalm 2511, Psalm 2511 if anyone's writing this down, Psalm 79.9, those are some other scriptures, the same theme. God actually forgives us for his own sake, for the sake of his own glory and beauty. It's kind of mind-blowing. Uh, or, or what about this? Um, it's not just an Old Testament idea. Paul writes here, 
in love he predestined us to be adopted as his children through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. So God actually makes us his children. He actually makes us his children so that his beautiful, glorious grace can be publicized and made known. He, he actually gets more glorified by adopting us. Or what about, uh, here's every, everybody's favorite psalm. Not everybody's, but a lot of people's favorite psalm. Psalm 23 says, He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The whole reason that we are, we, we've, uh, almost everyone in this room has benefited from being led by God. God directing us, God caring for us, God watching over us, showing us the next step to take, and he's doing it for his name's sake. Or just a little bit later, Psalm 31. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Or Sorry, since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Uh, how, about, how about provision? God taking care of us. God actually does that for his name's sake. Uh, you know, if, uh, if, you, if you look at uh, Matthew 6, it's the famous Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus is talking about, um, pulling a few quotes from that, but Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like them, and he's referring to, first of all, Pharisees, they prayed to bring attention to themselves. They prayed on the street corner so everyone would see, look at me, I am, I am all that and a bag of chips. And then Jesus said, don't pray like the pagans, they were praying out of fear that they wouldn't have enough. And so in their desperation, they were begging their idols for provision and to be cared for and to be watched for, over. Jesus said, don't pray like that. Instead, he says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed, that is a really old-fashioned way of saying, God, show off your holiness and your beauty and your splendor so that all the universe can see and all the universe can recognize who you really are. So, so Jesus didn't add that in. Just, that wasn't just a little tag on hallowed be your name. That was, that's the first thing that's supposed to consume our prayer is that God's name would be hallowed. And then it, we're all familiar with that prayer, but a few, verses, a few uh, lines down comes give us today our daily bread. So God cares for us, but it's in the context of him glorifying himself. So, so I could preach this way. I could spend the whole morning talking about how God glorifying himself directly benefits us. I could spend a lot of time on that, um, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to spend the morning talking about that. Now, I, I, another Another approach I could take is I could, I could preach about how, how it's, this is actually biblical, all right? I, and there are hundreds of verses in the Bible uh, about how this is at the center of what we believe. And, and of course, I would, I would probably bore you all to death because this could take hours and hours and hours to go through even a quarter of them. There are whole books written on this, uh, and, and if, if you've ever spent any time in the Bible you'll notice this phrase, for the glory of God, or for the sake of my name, or for the sake of God's glory. You're going to notice again and again and again and again, 
and, and you, can't, you can't escape it uh, at, at all. So I could preach about how this is biblical, uh, but, but I'm not going to. Like I said, that would take hours and hours and hours. But, but launch your own uh, Bible study. Take the few verses I, I threw up there and start your own Bible study on this idea that God created the universe to glorify himself. So I could preach about that, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. Um, I could, here's another thing I could do, um, is I could preach on how this idea is the difference between spiritual immaturity and maturity. The Christians who persevere, who last until the end, who bounce back from trials, who grow instead of wither when they face suffering, who find purpose in their tragedies, who find peace in the midst of horrible circumstances there should be no peace in. The, the Christians who, who have that kind of faith, that kind of maturing faith, they're, they're the Christians that down when they're in the, the lowest of lows and in the, the, the bottom bedrock of the worst trials they're going through, these are the ones who choose to prefer God's dignity and honor even over themselves, even over their own welfare. Uh, It's the critical turning point in maturity. Uh, I I remember I was a freshman in college, uh, and I was a new Christian. I was going through, at the time, the worst trials I'd ever been through in my young life uh, up to that point. And I came across uh, this this verse. Uh, Again, I was a new Christian, just starting to get into the Bible, just starting to figure out what it was all about. And I came across this verse from Isaiah I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made, Isaiah 43. And and I, you know, up till that point, I'd I'd really only kind of heard just that God loves me, and I was that was, that was great, but, but then comes this, and it was sort of shocking at first. But you know what? It, it, was, it was this, this verse, this, the, and the truth in this verse that got me through that year of my most intense trials up to that point. Uh, because what, what it was, was I, it, it broke me out of a lot of my self-absorption. I was sitting there going through trials, and, and I was whining and complaining about how hard this was for me. I was losing. I was losing out. I was, I, I was having to give up things. I was uh, in pain. I was in pain. And what this did, it, it just catapulted me out of this idea that life's all about me, that life, is, life exists to serve me. Life exists to make me comfortable. Life exists to make me happy. Life exists uh, for my own progress and benefit. This, this one truth Turned that around. Started to turn that around, I should say. I'm not. Uh, I'm still a recovering narcissist. Uh, probably always will be. Um, I still flirt with the idea pretty much daily that life's all about me. But anyway, I know I'm the only one. So I could preach all about this. That this idea that the truth that God created the universe for His own glory, God created us for His own glory. That that is the turn. That that's the the difference between immature and mature faith. I could do that, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to today. Um, so instead, what I really want to do 
is I want to talk about how Jesus dealt with this truth. This isn't just Paul's idea. This isn't just an Old Testament idea from Isaiah. This this is Jesus' favorite idea. All right? And I want you to turn with me, if you can, or use your device, or just look at what I'm going to project up here, I suppose. In John chapter 7, verse 18... Now, let me set the stage here just a little bit. Jesus was being confronted by, by people during his earthly ministry saying, you're, you're not really the Messiah, you're not who you say you are because you, uh, you know, anyway, there are all kinds of accusations going on. And, and here is one of Jesus' defense, ways of defending his ministry. He says, he who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself. But he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. For Jesus, this idea of working for the honor of the one who sent him, this idea, this was the test for Jesus of a sincere heart, of, a, of an honest heart, this idea. And and it's, it was the test of pure motives. And it's the same for us. You know, we can think that we are incredibly mature and incredibly pure. And, and I, before I got married, I thought I was pretty pure. And then, um, and then, and then before I had kids, I thought I'd you know, finally accomplished purity of, of heart. And then, whew, anyway, suffice it to say, still got a long way to go on this purity of heart thing. But the way to measure the purity of our hearts is the, the degree to which we are willing to work solely and exclusively for the honor of the one who sent us. The more we work for the honor of God, and not for our own honor, not to build our own kingdom, not to promote our own selves, not to establish our, ourselves in, in, a, in a secure and happy life, the more we prefer the glory of God over everything else, that is the test of the purity of our hearts. That's one way Jesus dealt with this. Uh, I'm just, these are highlights, by the way. Read, 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 uh, read all four Gospels, and you're going to see this interwoven in, in everything Jesus does and says. When Jesus was facing the cross, when Jesus was facing the cross, now we, we, we love to hear the, the one half of that where where. God died out of love for us, and that is very true. That's John, Romans 5, John 3, 16, that, the idea Jesus w- endured the cross out of love for us. That's absolutely true. We don't always highlight the other way Jesus motivated himself to face the cross. This is John chapter 12. Jesus is, he knows what's coming. He's known for a while. Now it's the last week, and things are so intense his disciples are still pretty clueless, uh, and th- things are, are, are getting rough, and, and Jesus knows what's about to happen, and, and this is how Jesus motivates himself. Now, my heart is troubled. What shall I say? I, I, by the way, I think that's so interesting. Jesus admits in his humanity to the troubledness of his heart. Jesus entered into, you, you know, we, we think, you think of the most, last time you were the most stressed out, the most freaked out, the most worried, the, the, you're going through something rough. You can pro- probably, everybody can think of something not too distant past here. 
and, and the trouble in your heart. Jesus enters into that, by the way, uh, and, and is, is, gets troubled in heart as well. He, he understands it when we have trouble of heart. My heart is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? That, you know, that, that was, by the way, when he was on the cross, a lot of his accusers were saying, if he was really God, he'd pull himself all the, off that cross. He'd save himself. So Jesus says, Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. That is how Jesus steeled his soul when he faced the cross and he knew what was coming. Father, glorify your name. I'm doing this for your glory, Father. That's how Jesus got through the cross. And and the same is true for the crosses we face. You know, I'm, I'm sure most of you have already experienced this, but there, 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 there comes trials in our lives that are so deep and so awful that it doesn't matter how many answers to prayer we get, how many words of knowledge, how many touches from the Holy Spirit. Those things don't suffice to get the neck or foot, one foot in front of the other in the middle of that trial. I, I, I know there's, there's a few people I'm thinking of in this room. I know you've been through trials like that already. Nothing gets you through it, no matter how good thing, other things might be in your life. Nothing will get you through it but this one motive. Father, glorify your name. I, I, I don't know why this trial is happening to me. I don't know why I'm suffering this way. This doesn't make any sense. But God, whatever else comes of this, Whatever else comes from this, even if it's my own demise, my own death, my own destruction, the destruction of the people I love, Father, whatever else comes of this, please do this one thing and glorify your name. And that trial will not be in vain. That trial will not be in vain. God answers that prayer. You know, for this, the next thing I want to show you how Jesus dealt with this. So if, if, uh, if you have, a, well, everybody, there's a Bible in front of you. If you could open up to John chapter 11, or if you have a little device, you can, whatever you do, touch it to John chapter 11. I don't have a device yet, so that's. Um, uh, so John chapter 11, um, just the, the chapter right, right before this one, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what they tell you not to do in uh, preaching classes, which is I'm, we're, we are going to read most of John chapter 11 together. Pastor Jim's already done this. He actually read a whole book, a couple, whatever that was. So compared to that, this is easy for you. John, John chapter 11. And, and, and I, I would like you to, I would like us all to, Pay attention to how Jesus handles this idea of the glory of God. And, and, and a little, little spoiler alert here. One, one of the amazing things about how Jesus does this is he, he puts the glory of God, the love of God, and our human suffering, he puts those three things together seamlessly 
So there's no logical contradiction whatsoever. Uh, a lot of people will say that the God glorifying himself is the opposite or a logical contradiction of God's love for us. And in John 11, we see that the two things are perfectly fused together, and there's no logical contradiction whatsoever. So just pay attention to how, how God does this. Our, the glory of God, the love of God, and our suffering, and how he ties those things together. Now, we're starting in verse 1, chapter 11. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that, the, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Look at how these are combined. Verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. You hear, everyone see that? There, there, was, there was no logical, like, whoop, switch to a different chapter, whoop, switch to a different author, switch, switch to a different book. One, one, it just flowed right from verse 4 to verse 5, flowed right into each other. This is for the glory of God. And then Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, here's the part. If you, don't, if you don't read to the end of the story, if you were to stop at this next verse, this is the part that freaks a lot of us out. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And I always scratch my head at that part like, you know, Jesus, you really could have could have prevented a lot of pain and heartache if you had not stayed for two more days. But let's read on. Got to read to the end of the story. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will, go, will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light it is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake... I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. I'm just going to let that phrase speak for, him, speak for itself. For your sake. A lot of times we think God glorifying himself is the opposite of for our sake. Jesus said, for your sake, I'm glad I stayed. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us go also, that we may die with him. Little delusions of grandeur right before the cross. Okay. <clears throat> On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb 
for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. I can't tell you how many times I've said almost these exact words to Jesus about this trial or that trial I've, I've gone through. God, you could have prevented this. You could have stopped this from happening. Why didn't you? If you had been here, this would have stopped. But check out Martha's faith when she says, she says here, um, <clears throat> but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on that last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? I, I want to pause in this story for a minute and, and let you know, when, when suffering and pain have made you lose something, a person or a thing, and, and we're like, why didn't you prevent this from happening, God? God speaks right into that, into that death, into that loss, into that suffering, and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. That's what he says directly to what you have lost in your trial and your suffering. God speaks right into that. I am the resurrection and the life. Verse 27, yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I, I want to pause again and say, you know what? When, when we say that to God, God has all kinds of compassion. He has all kinds of mercy. When we say, God, if you had been here, if you, had, you could have stopped this and you didn't, God has all kinds of compassion. He had compassion for Martha and Mary in the midst of their suffering. He didn't rebuke them and say, stupid ladies, court, just believe, duh. Jesus, Jesus didn't rebuke them like that. He let, he let them reach that deepest place of mourning and that complaint and that, that pain of, God, if only you'd been here. But he didn't leave them there. He let them go there, and he loved them there, but he didn't leave them there. Verse, uh, verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. 
Did you know Jesus is deeply moved in spirit and troubled when he sees you weeping? When he sees you going through pain and suffering, Jesus is deeply moved and troubled in heart. Jesus actually feels the pain you are going through. That's how Jesus responded when both Mary and Martha complained to him, if you'd been here, God, this wouldn't have happened. Jesus responded by being deeply troubled in heart. That is how God responds to you. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Of course, that question keeps coming up. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Martha said, said Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. This, this, was, a, this was a violation of Jewish ritual purity. This was, um, uh, of course, the stench had been four days. By the way, you've probably heard this before, but in Jewish tradition, they, they believed that the, the spirit of the person who died sort of hovered around the body for about three days, and by the fourth day, was, was gone where, and had left the body. And so if there'd been any sort of hope of being revived or coming back, that was, that was gone by the fourth day, for sure. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I, know, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Then he, uh, when, he, uh, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, verse 45, therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. You know, this story always undoes me when I read through it, when I meditate on it. I, I want to encourage you to do the same spend some time meditating on this story. God glorified himself in the middle of this trial. He glorified himself certainly by the resurrection, by, by causing Lazarus to come back from the dead when there was, there was absolutely no hope of him being revived. There's no hope whatsoever. He certainly glorified himself in that. He also glorified himself by revealing that he was the God who entered into Mary and Martha and Lazarus's deepest, worst, most painful loss and loved them right there in the middle of that. 
I, I hope you saw how God weaved together his love, his glory, and our suffering in the most perfect and seamless way possible. No logical contradiction whatsoever. This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there. He, uh, he stayed where he was two more days. God wove that together. In spite of all of our protests, in spite of all of our, uh, you know, our, our beliefs that this idea that God created the universe to glorify himself, that the, the way we usually reject that, the way we usually absorb the, the, the modern secular worldview that says that's, that's ridiculous, that's silly, that's old-fashioned, that's medieval. God is worth you glorifying him. He is worth you giving him all the attention, all the affection, all the love that he has won. Leave you with this idea. God shows off his good qualities. In other words, he glorifies us. He glorifies him to benefit fit us. So when you do everything for the glory of God, when you make that your highest and best goal to do whatever you do for the glory of God, whether it's your schoolwork, whether it's your income earning work, whether it's your ministry, whether it's your family life, your relationships, everything and anything that you do, if you make the glory of God your highest and best goal, you're actually seeking everyone's highest and best good. You, you are actually doing the thing that will most benefit everyone. And for Mary and Martha and Lazarus and the crowd around them of their friends and family, the, the greatest benefit wasn't just having Lazarus back. That, that, that was wonderful, but the greatest benefit to them, as it says in here in, in chapter 11, was so that they believed Jesus. They believed Jesus. When the crucifixion came, Mary and Martha were among those who stayed faithful to Jesus. They, they were among those who continued to believe in him when even the disciples were like, I'm out of here. Okay? When you make that your highest and best goal, it is, it, it is the greatest benefit to you and to everyone else. So, sola dea gloria. Andrew mentioned earlier how hard this message would be to hear and to speak, and it's true. Because it goes against everything that we unconsciously yet actually believe because we really do as Andrew said think it's about us and not about him so it's really hard to shift our attention we're just gonna sing that last part of it again one more time holy is the Lord and I really want for just a moment for you to just really make that shift in your heart as best as you're able to at this point in your spirit in your heart just begin to make that shift right now. Holy is the Lord. Praise Him. Come on. 
Lift up your hands. Open them before the Lord. Open up your hands before the Lord. As we receive the benediction this morning, open your hands before the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory belong to the Lord. You are worthy, you are worthy your name. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Honor belong to you. Worthy is your name. Fill our lives with your glory. As you leave this house, open both hands to the Lord. As you leave this house, the house of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, the peace of Jesus, follow you wherever you go. His glory follow you at work, in your family, in your car, and into your life today and forever. Go make disciples for all nations, for God's glory, in Jesus' name. Yes. Amen. Amen.